found. Statistics estimate that currently there are more than 27 million people enslaved in human trafficking. And get this, 80% are women and 50% are children are being trafficked currently in our world today. There also are currently more people enslaved today than there was during the height of the transatlantic slave trade. I mean, when it was legal, when it was, that's what happened, that's what was the norm, even though it wasn't right. But there's more now than at the height of the transatlantic slave trade. It is estimated that two children per minute are trafficked for sexual exploitation. Two children per minute, right? Like, I mean, service is an hour and a half. Let's just put that into terms of people, not statistics anymore. It's a lot of children that are exploited for the sex trade. You know, slavery isn't legal anywhere. They use different terms, but it is happening everywhere. The United Nations said that 161 countries out of the 192 in the world are involved with human trafficking. It's not just in Asia. It's not just in South America. It's not just in the United States. It's global. There's a global, horrific evil that is happening with 27 million people, and that number's growing, 80%. Women, 50% children, more than three quarters of the world is involved in this. Two children per minute. And whether young or old, boys or girls, men or women, these slaves are used to work hard labor in sweatshops. They're forced to be child soldiers. They're coerced into begging and peddling for food and money. And the most disgusting, horrific part is that uh, they are coerced into the sex trade industry, what would be, which would be pornography, stripping, and prostitution. So horrific that kids are, at the ages of five, six, seven years old, getting kidnapped, or even their parents are selling them into this industry for drugs. Stories of Thailand where Parents need another high. They don't have enough opium left, so they sell their children into prostitution for one or two dollars just to get one fix. And these kids then are on the streets, and they're forced to do things that are absolutely horrific up to 10 to 15 times a night every night. And uh, that's just the slave trade industry. Again, there's hard labor, sweatshops, child soldiers, peddling and begging that that these 27 million people, they're people, remember, they're not statistics, they're people, are being forced into. And the conditions aren't, aren't even nearly humane. Um, they're beaten, they're abused, they're raped, they're starved, they're humiliated, they're drugged, they're coerced, they're neglected, they're harassed, they're threatened, and most are killed. It's horrific evil that's going on. Absolutely horrific. And the thing is, modern, modern slavery is everywhere in as wicked as it is, right? As disgusting and just repulsive as it is, it's a thriving financial industry. 
According to recent statistics, human trafficking is the second largest source of income for organized crime, generating close to $32 billion in annual illicit profits. This is only second to drug trafficking. It's drug trafficking and then human trafficking. It's an epidemic like no other. Another statistic that just rocked my world was um, one that said, tragically, in, in 1850, a slave in the, the southern United States cost the equivalent of $40,000 today. Currently, the average cost for a human slave is only a mere 90 bucks. 90 bucks. I'm getting older now. I'm married. 90, buck is, 90 bucks is a drop in the bucket. It's nothing. And this is the cost for humans. Humans. It's not, they're not commodities. They're not possessions. They're not goods. They're humans. And this is happening. Church, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of this. We can't be blind any longer. The U.S. Department of State said that human trafficking is a multi-dimensional threat or problem. It deprives people of their human rights and freedom. It increases global health risks, and it fuels growth of organized crime. That's the, the official U.S. Department of State view on human trafficking. If our own government would say that, what should the church think? What should the church believe? What should the church do? And all this happens, and all these statistics happen at the cost of little boys and little girls. I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to even talk about this. I mean, it really, really is. And this horrific tragedy that is going on, it just can't be overlooked by the church. It can't. It can't. We as followers of Jesus Christ cannot be in the dark about the evils of the world that we live in. We can't. As much as we want to just come to church and be in our bubble and have the church a refuge for the world, I mean from the world, excuse me, this church is supposed to be a ref refuge for the world. We're not supposed to just come in these four walls and go into our house and only hangs out with Christians and in this bubble. The church should be a refuge for the world. Jesus not only calls us to be aware of the evils that in the world that we live in, but Jesus would call us to intercede and interject. Pray and do something about it. So the question is, what is the church's role then? How are we as Christians to get involved? Right? We're burdened. We're broken over what is happening to, to humanity. What are we to do? What are we to do? And I think all of us in a moment can be, well, what would God do? That's the question we need to ask, right? Not, not what our own human efforts can do, but what can God do? What is God's heart and what can he do? Ephesians 5.1 tells us, therefore, we are to be imitators of God as beloved children. So as the church, as Christians, as individuals, we are to, supposed to imitate Christ, as Christians, we're to look to Christ. What do we do? The question would be, what is God's heart? What, what, what does God think? I think for a lot of us, it's a no-brainer what God thinks, but this is what God says. This is what his desire is for enslaved peoples. He told us 
what he wanted to do, and he told us what the devil wanted to do. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. These people who are being trafficked and who are coerced and forced into the human sex trade are stolen, they're killed, and their lives are being destroyed in every possible way, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Human trafficking and the sex trade is nothing but satanic. It's straight from the pit of hell. Exactly what is happening to these 27 million people is they are being stolen, killed, and destroyed. What is Jesus' heart for every single one of those people? That they might have life and life abundantly. What they do not have is life and life abundantly. Jesus would say in, in Luke 4.18, he's bringing out of the Old Testament uh, a, a section of scripture from Isaiah 61. And this is what Jesus says about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of, uh, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What is God's heart? What is God's purpose? What did he come to do and what does he desire to do? To proclaim liberty to the captive, to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus desires not only for these slaves to be physically free, but spiritually free. He desires these, these slaves to to be saved and to come to the knowledge of himself. So Jesus desires to free them physically and spiritually from the bondage of their oppressors, whether that be humanity or whether that be the devil. What can we do then, church? This is God's heart. God's heart is to give us life and life abundantly. God's heart is to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel. Number one thing we can do today in Carpinteria and Santa Barbara, Galita, Ventura, wherever you live, right here, right now, at any time, anywhere, let's pray. Church, let's pray. Pray for the captives to be released. Pray for them to experience life in Christ. You know, it's satanic, and God is so good because he gives us weapons to tear down these strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. For though we walk in the flesh, this is a flesh problem right now, we do not a war according to the flesh. It's demonic what's happening. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Church, our weapons that we have of prayer are powerful for the destruction of fortresses. To set the captives free, physically and spiritually. And the question that I am convicted about, and I think that we need to ask all of us, is when is the last time we went into our prayer closets on our own time and cried out for someone else? I'm telling you right now, I'll be honest, I'll just repent before you. Most of my prayers are for me. I'm having trouble, I'm having a hard day, I need this, I need that. And we're praying to the Father. 
But when is the last time we cried out for others, especially those that we did not know? How about these 27 million? Church, your weapons of your warfare, the spiritual warfare that's going on in this world are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Pray, pray, pray. The next thing is do. How can we help end human trafficking and the sex trade? We can go do something about it. We can go do something about it. Psalm 82, 3 through 4. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Christians, we need to be aware and move into action when it comes to the topic of human trafficking. Number one is we can all pray. But maybe there is some of you guys that are already involved or will be called to do this. But there's someone that we have today uh, a dear friend of mine that's here that can speak profoundly better than I can about this because he's prayed and he's done and he's been used to set the captives free. We have the privilege and honor to having Ron Miller, our missionary from Northern Thailand, come and share with us and put a, put a face to these statistics. So welcome to me, my brother, my friend, Ron Miller. God, I guess I don't need my glasses. <laughs> you know, we have these treasures in earthen vessels. You know, guys, these vessels are chipped, broken, cracked, and they leak. Uh, last night, I had the honor and the privilege of praying with a team that's going to Thailand. And uh, you know what? I leaked. So to the brothers and sisters that were there, I'd like to ask you to forgive me. And thank you for your grace and your mercy on my life. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father God, we stand at your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. And you, you know, we love you, Lord. Father God, we'd ask that you convict a heart, Father God. Um, draw us close to you, Father God. Help us, Father God, to get involved, Lord. Involved in those things that break your heart. Involved in those things that uh, give you joy. Father God, as I listen to Ryan... Um, I could, only, I could only weep, Father God. I could only weep at the inhumanity of man to man. So, Father God, I'd ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would, would convict us, Father God, that we might truly get involved with those things, Father God, that break your heart. Lord, speak to us. Father God, um, strengthen us, Lord. Cause us to pray. Cause us to seek your face, Father God. And cause us never to doubt. Lord, your will, your desires, and your purposes for our life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Well, as usual, this is like the fourth or fifth or sixth time I've shared with uh, the brothers and sisters here at Reality. Man, I love you guys. You know, and, uh, I had all kinds of things I want to say. I was asked to share a little bit about the history of Bonnie Emanuel and how it started. I'm not going to do that. Standing over here, the Holy Spirit convicted me of something else. Um, you know, the statistics that Ryan gave you, um, they're, they're statistics. Do they really move our heart? I don't know. Um, we're seeing in Thailand children 
seven and eight years old in prostitution, younger than that, little boys, little girls. Thailand is the pedophile capital of the world. Um, Patia Beach is the focal point of pedophilia in the whole world. We're seeing some of it now move to Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Um, I've seen broken bodies, I've seen children hurt, I've seen them bleeding. Uh, I've seen just incredible things that I don't know if I can, ever sh I can even share and I don't know if you can get your head around them. There was a time, not that long ago, you guys, where I, I couldn't go into the villages. Uh, I just I couldn't do it. For a period of a couple of years, I, I asked my coworkers, the staff, the people I love and work with, would you please go? I couldn't, I couldn't go into the village and see any more hurt. I couldn't see any more pain. I couldn't see any more broken bodies. I just couldn't do it. We, a little girl and a little Hmong girl in the village called Hui Nam Hak. Some of the people who've been, some of the brothers who come out and visit have been there and have, know this village. Had a little girl there, she's five years old, and she had leukemia. We, uh, they don't have chemotherapy in Chiang Rai, where, which is our closest uh, town, so we had to take her to Chiang Mai. And all the time I'm thinking when we're ministering to this girl, you know, Lord, your word tells me that it's your desire that none of these little ones should perish. I'm going up to the villages and I'm watching children die every day. I'm watching with disease, I'm watching them die of AIDS, I'm watching them die of exposure, lack of food. And I'm thinking, Lord, how does this all fit together? I don't understand. It's your will that none of these children should perish. Well, the day before we were scheduled to take this little girl, this little Hmong girl, down to Chiang Mai for chemotherapy, her father called, and um, I was off doing something. Pinu told me her father wanted to talk to me. So I got on the phone. I, I thought he just wanted to remind me the fact that we were going to Chiang Mai to take his little daughter for chemo. Well, his little daughter had died. And, uh, well, the next day we went to the village to pray with the family. And the poor Hmong, they don't have caskets. What they do is they have a board and they just lay the body on a board and they put their possessions at the head and the foot of the board. Um, well, we walked into grass thatched roof house, bamboo walls, dirt floor. And the little girl was lying on the far end. As I entered, she was lying on the far end of the, um, the house. And she had her little mom outfit on. You know, and she looked like a little doll. Like a, I, I just assumed, you know, just I felt my heart. She was going to get up and walk over to me and hug me, which she'd done so many times. Uh, but of course, she wouldn't. The scripture, you know, I think all of us have gone, had scriptures that we've read many, many times, but all of a sudden there's a time, a moment in time when the Holy Spirit just illuminates it. And I'm thinking, Lord, it's not your will that one of these little children perish. I mean, this girl's perished. 
the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. Uh, she's with me. You know, and I believe that with all of my heart. Guys, I couldn't, I couldn't go up to the villages. I couldn't do what I'm doing without the knowledge that when a child dies, a little child, a little boy or a little girl, they're with Jesus. There's no way I could do what I'm doing. There's no way I could see the hurt, the pain, the death, the destruction, so much of it caused by man, inspired by Satan, that I could do these things, that I could minister to these people. So I praise God for his grace. They're with the Lord. These children that have been brutalized. Um, we see prostitution, pedophilia, children, soldiers. And again, I hadn't planned to say this, and this is this inspiration of the Holy Spirit as I'm speaking. I have a friend, a missionary family that's been working in Burma forever, and you guys would know their name. Um, many books written about them. They're fourth generation. And about five years ago, I got a call from a young man, great-great-grandson of the original missionary, and he was crying on the phone. He said, Ron, I, I need to talk to you. I have a favor. He said, I want you to take a little boy of ours. He's a red wah. He said, he was a child soldier. He was conscripted in the opium army when he was like nine, and he's like 13 now. And he said, this child's been living at my house. Um, we brought him into our house. Um, we, we raised him as our own child. We loved him. Um, and he said, last night, he raped my three-year-old daughter. And um, we were both on the phone just weeping and crying. But something he said indelibly gripped my heart. He said, you know, Ron, if this whole thing is real, if this walk is real, I need to forgive this boy. And I don't think any of us have ever known the depth of, of hurt and pain like this man has. But I remember him so specifically saying, I need to forgive this boy. And he said, would you take him? And we wanted to. You know, Pinu and I and the staff, we prayed and we were going to take him. But in the course of the, the prayer, like two days, the boy kind of retreated back to the jungles of Burma and we were never able to take him. Guys, it's just a lot of hurt, a lot of pain that comes from um, sexual perversions, trafficking of human beings. There's a place in, on, in Bangkok on the Chao Phaya River, which is the river of kings, where it shifts. Monday it might be one place and Tuesday in another place, but guys, you can buy any, any type of person you want. Black, yellow, green, orange, young, old, man, woman. And it's called the white slave market. And that's there. You know, Ryan gave you a bunch of statistics, and I don't know how much they mean, but in Thailand, uh, illegal sex trade makes more money than the rest of the gross national product combined. That's just illegal sex trade. That's little boys and little girls. You walk down Salome Road, which some of you, when the team comes, will be there. You walk down Salome Road, and people, pimps, primarily tuk-tuk drivers and, and, and samla drivers, these are little vehicles that you take and you to various... You know, a rickshaw. You all know what a rickshaw is. But you'll be walking down Salem Road and you'll have hundreds, literally hundreds of men walking up with a menu. And they hand you a menu. In that menu, you open it up and there's little boys and little girls and how much it costs and what sexual acts they perform. You know, guys, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is evil. We need to get involved. We need to get involved with prayer. We need to get involved with, get involved 
We need to be doing something. And again, this isn't a condemnation, and I'm not putting a guilt trip on anybody because it's been my experience that guilt doesn't have a prolonged or a lasting change in our life. You know how you can placate guilt? Plate comes around, you write a check to Bonnie Manuel, drop it in, and you feel good about it. But conviction, conviction changes us from the inside, and conviction changes us forever. We're convicted to get involved by the Holy Spirit. We're convicted to pray. We're convicted to love. We're convicted to, to give, whatever. You know, I do want to put a face to some of the things we're doing. You know, um, Bonnie Manuel is a testimony of one thing, is God's faithfulness. You know, like Ryan said, you know, um, he felt unworthy to stand before you. So do I. It's only by God's grace that any of us are able to stand, any of us are able to do anything for our Lord Jesus. And I confess to you guys that I, I really, I stand in awe what the Father has allowed me to be part of. And it's been kind of a little bit like Paul in that he revealed to me the hurt and the pain I was going to walk through. And sometimes it's so hard. But I praise God for your prayers and coming alongside of us. You know, uh, I wanted to, when Matt and Amber and I were getting pictures, and I wanted to show you guys some pictures of some of the children we work with, I couldn't find any pictures of the actual girls that we have rescued out of prostitution. And we have physically taken little boy, well, one little boy, but several little girls out of prostitution. You know, and I didn't have any pictures of them. I was looking for a picture of like Dee Dee. Dee Dee was sold by her mom and dad when she was 10 years old. Uh, we got her when she was 12, and she didn't know how to respond to a male. She just simply didn't know how to respond. The only thing she'd ever been is abused sexually. And so that was a lot of prayer. We, had, we have a little girl named Asa. Um, Asa's from a family of four, four sisters. The oldest one, the mom and dad died, and the oldest sister decided because Asa was the prettiest one of them and keep the family together, she decided that she'd prostitute Asa so they'd get money to keep the family together. Well, um, Dee Dee's now studying at Chiang Mai University. Asa's married and she's working in, in Taiwan. Um, but you know, I think the reason we don't have pictures of them is because their story isn't over. Their story isn't over. I believe God's going to... Right now, they're not sharing the freedom that Jesus Christ gave them. They're not sharing the love and the grace. But you know, I, I believe in my heart there's going to be a time when God uses Asa and Didi to share their story with other little girls that have come out of prostitution. Uh, I have some pictures of some of our children that I'd like, to, like you guys to see, like you guys to pray about, and I'd like to give you their stories, and they're really unique stories. So can we, we see those, please? That's Nong Mun. Um, I'm sorry, you guys. This is really tough. That's little Nong Mun. You remember a couple years ago when they had the, uh, the hurricane went through Burma? Uh, well, she's a result of that hurricane having gone through Burma. A, a teacher, a Thai teacher actually found her wandering around. We got her when she was three years old, man, and she was reclusive. She, we couldn't, she wouldn't talk. You know, I don't know the depths of the, hurt, the pain that she went through, but we don't know much about her except that we have her and we love her. But, you know, uh, we don't know. We don't know if she had parents. We don't know the circumstances. All I know is I praise God that we've got her. Uh, you know, guys, when that hurricane went through Burma, um, United Nations estimates that 
a half a million people died. Uh, and did you know that the Burmese government wouldn't let aid in? They wouldn't let doctors in, they wouldn't let nurses in, they wouldn't accept food, they wouldn't accept medicine, and they allowed a half a million of their people to die. Pray against the Burmese government that God tears down that regime of evil and raises up righteousness. So we have Nong Mun and we just bless her. Next, this young man, Bethay. Part of the history of Bonnie Manuel is, you know, that Bethay, he's our first boy. And he's now, well, I'm not going to get there quite yet. Uh, Bethay, God gave me a real love for him. I'm just an absolutely supernatural love. Bethay had a few personality quirks, like he was pretty, pretty violent, angry, bitter. You know, and this whole thing, of course, is about Jesus transforming lives, isn't it? The love of Jesus transforms lives. Well, Bethay was with us for some years, and I mean, we were constantly getting him, bailing him out of jail because he'd beaten somebody up. Um, came a time when Bethay actually, and by the way, I have permission from Bethay to, to share all of this, so I wouldn't do this. Um, there came a time when he hit one of our girls, and we had to, we had to ask him to leave the ministry. But my love for Bethay, I told him I'd pay his tuition. By this time, he was in college. I told him I'd pay his tuition, but he had to find a place to live and how to get to school. Well, he was away from us for about a year and a half. But in that year and a half, guys, the Holy Spirit touched his heart. You know, Bethay started to go to church because he wanted to. He got involved with the youth group. In about eight or nine months, he was actually the leader of the youth group. And in that youth group, he met, there's a little girl by the name of Anna. She is also Lahu. He's, these guys are Lahu, yellow Lahu. And um, he shared the gospel. He was teaching the youth group. And, well, today as we speak... But they and Anna are married. They have a little baby named Avet, and he's running our Lahu orphanage up in a place called Huilu. You know, God changes lives. And this is an epitome of an example of the Lord changing lives. You know, this guy just blesses me. You know, the kids that I'm working with, I see how God transformed their lives, and it's an encouragement to me, and they're a blessing to me. Next, we have... <laughs> This little boy, his name is Tawan. He's actually the only um, Thai child that we have in our orphanage. We work with the animists. God called us to work with tribal people. The tribal people are not Buddhists. Animists worship uh, the spirit of the tree, the spirit of the river, the spirit of the fish, the spirit of ancestors. And um, Thais are Buddhists. You know, I might add here also, please, that we need to pray for Thailand. The gospel's been in Thailand for... Uh, about 350 years. When I got to Thailand 20 years ago, one half of 1% of Thailand was evangelical Christian. Today as we speak, one half of 1% is evangelical Christian. Thailand has been resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please, intercede and pray. And we're really wondering, in fact, how we might get involved more with the Thais. God's called us to work with the tribal children, you know? <clears throat> okay, but Tuan's story is that we have a foundation, and under our foundation, we have a gentleman by the name of Ajahn Somsak. Ajahn means teacher, and Ajahn Somsak is the director of Payao Bible College. His mom, really a, a strikingly attractive woman, um, again, a few personality glitches, like 
uh, she's only, she was only 35 or 34, actually. She had four husbands, and um, Tawan was a result of her first marriage to, act, to an actual Thai man, but she had consequently and subsequently been married many times. But, you know, I don't know her heart, but she contended to have a relationship with the Lord. She went down to Payal Bible College to enroll. And as is Ajahn Somsak's position, you know, he, he checked her, re- her references and like, and found out these things about her. Well, he called her back for an interview to tell her, you know, well, maybe it wasn't the right time to study in Bible college, but she brought Tuan with her and walked in, and Tuan was just beaten. He, he had big cuts on his eyes, stitches, black eyes. His, his body had been just beaten. And Ajahn Slimsak said, well, you know, wanted, we inquired as to why this has happened. And what, it, what the result of this was the fact that she had now married a Korean man. And for the life of me, I, I have difficulty comprehending this. He was a missionary, and he just absolutely hated Tawan. And he beat him, beat him senseless. And she came with Tawan to the Bible college, and Ajahn Sumsat simply wouldn't let her, let her take the child back. He, he was removing her from this, him from this destructive environment, called us and asked us if we'd take him. And so we did. We prayed and we took him. Um, two months ago, Tawan's mom died. She died of tuberculosis. And, well, of course, we were invited to attend the memorial service. And we went down. I wasn't able to. I was off someplace. I think I was in like Laos. And so P. New went down. And the service, the memorial service was amazing. This Korean man just wept the whole time. Um, the Korean man and Tuan's mom had actually lived in a portion of, or in a section of Chiang Mai where a lot of Lahus lived, most of whom were Pinu's relatives. And so they realized, the Lahu realized that there was some problems in this relationship. So they, I mean, they made, they, they made meals for um, Tuan's mom. Uh, they cleaned the house, the whole thing. When she died, they actually set, helped set up the memorial service. Well, in the service, like I said, lots of things happened. One thing that happened was that he has four other little brothers and sisters, and two of them are little girls that we so desperately wanted to bring into our orphanage, but we didn't know where they were. Well, it turned out that they were actually at the memorial service, but their biological father showed up. Um, And this man, he's a good man. He really cared for his children. He didn't have any idea where they were either. So when he saw his two children, God reconciled the father with his children. That just blessed us. Now, Tawan's last remaining relative was his auntie. And she lives in Bangkok. Um, And the way it works in, in Asia is that Mom dies, dad dies, some member of the family will be responsible, will try to take in the child. So she said to Tuan, you know, well, we're your last remaining family. We're going to raise, we want you to come down to Bangkok. We're going to raise you as our own child. We're going to send you to university, um, the whole thing. And Tuan uh, graciously declined, you know. (laughs) And he said, his words were, uh, well, I thank you, but I'm not going to, the regular college, when I graduate from high school, I'm going to Bible college, and Bonnie Emanuel is my family, you know? Praise God. Praise God. I need to also tell you that the Korean man who abused Tuan badly, beat him, um, 
after the service, and he, the man was still weeping, and he walked, Pinu told the story, and we were all definitely affected by the story, but he began to, he, he walked from the front of the uh, church back toward Tuan, and he started walking toward Tuan. And I might add also, when we went to pick up Tuan, he, this particular man attacked Pinu with a machete. He was going to kill Pinu because he hated the boy so much, didn't want, didn't want him set free, didn't want him to have any kind of comfort or whatever. So he began to walk from the front of the church back toward Tuan, and he's still weeping. And Pinu thought, you know, I didn't know what to do, Ron. You know, I, just, I had no idea what to do, Piran. And the man walked up to Tuan, put his arms around him and asked him if Tuan would forgive him. <laughs> you know, absolute miracle of God's grace in his mercy and his love in this whole situation. And then he actually asked Tuan to come back to uh, Korea and live with him. And again, Tuan declined. And then this Korean man went ahead and gave us money for his tuition. I don't know, do we have another picture in there? P. Lion, the Thais can't pronounce R's, they're L. And so P. Ryan is P. Lion. Uh, P. Lion talked about sweatshops. This little boy, he's a little Akka boy, and we got him out of a sweatshop. He was working in a sewing shop for seven days a week, you know, 14 hours. Um, when he was a baby, his name is, by the way, Chu. And when he was a baby, he was born in Burma to Akka parents. And they still, in Burma, they still build their houses on stilts because of the flooding and the animals, the snakes. And when he was a baby, he fell out of the, the house and he uh, injured and broke his back. And so he has this big, I don't know, I guess we refer to it as a pigeon chest and this, this badly deformed back. And so when his parents found out that he was deformed, they didn't want him. So they just left him and he ended up being sold and working in a, in a sweatshop. And we ended up with him because some man who just had compassion for him, we, never, we didn't know the guy, told us about um, a Jew. And so we were able to bring him to live at Bonnie Emanuel, you know, and uh, lots of things. He's badly deformed, and we took him to a hospital to see if we could perform surgery to straighten his back out. And, like, and the injury is too close to his spinal cord, so the doctor said he couldn't do this. And, when, when, you know, and I remember when we, we told a Jew or, you know, that the, the doctor's suggestion was he just wept, you know, I mean, just like, but through prayer, through God's grace, I'll tell you, he feels comfortable with it. Um, God's touched him, God's blessed him. This little boy actually, guys, when we got him, didn't speak Thai. Um, last year, he's been with us now for two years, last year he, he skipped from Ba Song, which is second grade, to sixth grade. Kids get three grades. He's brilliant, and he's you know just an amazing um, sewer. He makes the the traditional uh, Aka stuff. So, well, I've got a minute left. You know, I'm sorry that I kind of babbled incoherently up here, but you know, I just hope it touched your hearts because it certainly touched mine. Being able to share with you guys, and I'm going to ask you to please get involved. Please pray um, more. We have 120 children, and we have more and more stories. I can sit here and tell you, I hate to use the word stories. I can tell you my spiritual experiences of working with these children. And they're set free by one thing, the grace of God and his love. And you guys, and you're part of that work. Um, it's your grace, your mercy, your prayers. Please understand, 
you know, I feel personally that we write a lot of books about prayer and we read a lot about prayer and we teach a lot about prayer. I'm just, I'm, I contend that it's probably time that we really pray. What do you think? Will you pray? Will you join us in prayer? Will you su- just come alongside of us in love? And however the Lord leads you to support us. Well, guys, thank you for letting me share. Um, I truly do love you with the love of the Lord, you know? And uh, God bless you all. Now, I guess Ryan, I'm, Ryan's going to come back up and share a pe- Praise the Lord for guys like Ron Miller, that you're faithful to listen to Jesus. That's it. Nothing about him. It's about Jesus. And guys, we're just going to spend a few minutes praying as a church right now. Jesus said, my house should be house, called a house of prayer. And so guys, you've heard it, you know, and are aware of what's happening. You've seen the testimony of God's goodness and God's grace though. And so I've got a couple of prayer points for us. Um, just want to just split up in groups for a couple minutes and pray as a church. But number one way we could pray is... Um, Pray that slaves would be set free and that they would find healing and restoration so they can live a full life. Number two is pray that modern day abolitionists are equipped with compassion and discernment as they work to end this injustice and that they are protected as well. People like Ron, other churches, other organizations. Also, and this is the most important, pray that slaves will not only physically be set free but spiritually that the gospel would be preached to the captives and those who take others captive so that all may come to repentance and to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Church, let's do that. Uh, let's, let's just get in little groups right now and let's pray these points. We're just going to spend a few minutes praying these things. So uh, let's go ahead and do that.